I sure hope so. You ever said that? A lot of times we use that phrase in a lot of different contexts, don't we? Uh, we throw out hope left and right all the time. I mean, it's one of those words that shows up a lot in what we say and, and what we think. I, uh, a few days back, I spent five hours uh, on a Sunday afternoon raking all the leaves on my, uh, on my yard, and, and I got done, and I, I said to my family, I hope I don't have to do any more of that this year. And uh, you should see my yard right now, covered in leaves, right? I had hoped wouldn't have to do that. Or, or maybe it's, uh, you know, later today, you get to maybe turn on the TV, watch uh, the Lions play. And you might say, I hope they win today. They probably won't. Just going to say, right? It's just kind of the way it goes. Or, or I, I hope, and in, in insert, in the, fill in the blank, I hope, maybe it's, I hope I get that promotion at work. Or I, I hope... Uh, things around the Thanksgiving table this year go better than they went last year. And I hope Joe doesn't bring up politics again. Or I hope cancer doesn't come back this year. Or I hope. What is it that you hope for today? You know, we throw that word out a lot. And I, I am convinced that that word doesn't maybe mean as much as it once did. Because a lot of times when we use the word hope, behind it is a lot of dashed hopes. Hopes that we once had that really turned to hopelessness or hope that didn't live up to what we thought it would be or hope that was lost. Maybe you're there today and as we've been spending these weeks dwelling on the hope that is ours in heaven, I, I want to make sure when we talk about that sure and certain hope that we're not using the word hope in the same way that often it gets thrown out in our experiences. Sometimes as pastor, and Pastor Steve, that's been your experience. Pastor John, you've had the same experience, I'm sure, where you visit somebody, maybe they're in a hospital or maybe they're a grieving family, and you throw out the promise of God and, and the, the promise of heaven and the promise of forgiveness in Christ. And, and, and the person you're talking, they say this, well, I, I hope so. And often in that awkward pause is a realization that it's not a I know so, it's a well, I hope so, more so as I hope I don't have to rake leaves again, or I, 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 I hope, I, I hope the, the Lions win this afternoon, rather than a sure and certain hope. So just to back up a little bit and just ask that question today, is this hope, that we have this hope, is it one of those, I hope I don't have to rake leaves again, or is it a hope that is sure and certain without a doubt? What is that hope for us today? And to ask the question a different way, where is that kind of sure and certain hope found? And how do we know? So I'm thankful for God's word. I want to open that with you today to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up in the first couple verses of, of that reading for us today in Colossians 1. Starting with verse 15. Let's put that up there. This is what it says. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, 
all things have been created through him and for him. Let me just ask you, as we get into this, is there, in the language that Paul is inspired to write here, and as many scholars believe this is almost a a, a quotation of a hymn, or it's a a, a statement of truth, it's a belief, it's an understanding, is there any doubt here? He's not waffling on, uh, is Jesus who we think he is? Is he powerful enough? Does he have enough authority? No, this is what Paul's bringing up, that the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, or as John would later bring this up, no one has ever seen God, but, but the Son of God, or His Son, has made Him known. Jesus comes as the one, God in the flesh, uses that phrase, the firstborn over all creation. We, we kind of lose track of what firstborn means in, in our culture, but in in the culture of biblical times, to be the firstborn means you, you have authority in the family. You are the rightful heir. You have a, a sense of control and power to carry on the family name that there is not going to be anything lost here in translation. You have power in the family. But Jesus is not only the firstborn in the family, he is the firstborn overall creation. Now, what's that mean? It goes on, he says, in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible. Later he says, all things have been created through him and for him. So you got it, that all things are created uh, in him, all things are created through him, all things are created for him. What does this mean? And, and, and you think back on creation itself, even the Father he says, let there be light, and there is light, and God said, and the, the, the question's often brought up, like, well, what is the tool that the Father uses to create, and what is that tool? You go in the garage because you've got to hang a picture, well, what's the tool you grab? It's probably a hammer and a nail. That's what you're going to use to hang that picture. You might grab a, a, a a level to make sure it's level on the wall. I mean, there's tools of what you, well, what does the Father use to create? And the answer is he uses his words. The Father speaks, let there be, and there was. And as, Christ, as Scripture plays out, we, we discover that the Son of God is, is eternal and, and has always existed as, as God. And we find out that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now the Word becomes flesh, and we're getting ready in Advent to celebrate that Word coming near to His people as flesh and blood among God's people. Uh, there is a, a, a hope that is tangible here, and it's found in the Word of God. And that the Word is what brings creation about. And, and, and the Father speaks, and Jesus is the Word, and He is present there. And you're like, wow, this is, this is lofty stuff. Yeah, it is. But don't we want a God that is smarter and bigger than us in our limitedless experiences of brokenness in this world and hopelessness? God comes to bring hope, and He says, there is hope here in the one who comes to make God visible. Or as Paul would say it elsewhere, we reflected on these words a few weeks ago from from Corinthians where he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And Jesus comes to make the unseen visible by faith, by the power of the word of God played out in the lives of his people. Now he goes on and 
verse 17. I love this. He, he is before all things. In other words, he's always existed. Talk about a hope-filled perspective of knowing all things and being present through all things. But it says, and in him all things hold together. Been to Home Depot lately? Anybody? I was there yesterday. <laughs> you know, I, I picked up some leaf bags because guess what? I got to do more leaves, right? So it goes, hopelessness. And, but whenever I go to Home Depot, I, I, I'm rarely am I a, a targeted hunter shopper when I go to Home Depot. I go to get what I've come for, but then I do a run through and pass through of all my favorite areas of the store. I just love that place. I don't know, Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, just something about just walking around looking at stuff and and uh, I, I went down the, the glue aisle. I mean, where else in this world can you find an entire aisle dedicated to glue? Home Depot, right? And, and, and crazy glue and, and const- uh, liquid nails and you've got Gorilla Glue and all of these things that promise to be the strongest bond, the strongest thing to hold something together in the world. And you know what? Today we're reminded none of those things are. The strongest glue is found in Jesus. It says it right there. All things in him hold together. That's what verse 17 reminds us. Because you maybe are in the midst of a, a world and a circumstance and a life that feels like it's falling apart. <laughs> like I, I, I just feel like I can't keep up with my life anymore. Things at work, maybe things in your family, maybe in a marriage. Uh, maybe Thanksgiving is all out stress for you because maybe there's been a recent divorce or maybe there's a conflict going on and it's unreconciled and, 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 and you're just feeling like you just are falling apart. Or maybe it came by a recent diagnosis from a doctor or someone in your family that's not there this year and you're overwhelmed, falling apart. You're like, where do I find hope today? You know, Paul would write this elsewhere. I think of Romans 8, that, that great chapter that talks about this glue that holds all things together, where he says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, neither trouble, nor hardship, nor danger, nor sword, and the list goes on. Insert problem, struggle here. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. You want to talk about a hope in this world? We're longing for something that we'll not let go. And Jesus is that answer today. In him all things hold together. Paul goes on, verses 18 to 20, he says, And he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. And the firstborn from, get this, from among the dead. Earlier, he was the firstborn of creation. Now he says he's the firstborn among the dead. He's the one as God in the flesh who comes to this broken world to conquer even death itself. Yeah, go figure then. He might have supremacy, that word that's thrown a lot these days in in the evil and the hatred of our world and the hopelessness that hatred and evil and anger brings. Jesus brings a supremacy of love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. And he does it by way of going the way of death. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
or the things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Because I think if we're honest, the source of our hopelessness in this world, yes, circumstances, they can play a factor in that, but a lot of times the bigger war and the bigger doubts, the bigger fears when it comes to eternal hope is what rages inside our own hearts and our minds, the doubts, the questions, the fears. What if I'm not good enough? What, what if my failure is too much? If God really knows me and knows how I struggle and knows how far I've strayed and how many times I've said I wouldn't do that again and then I do it again and, and the good I'd want to do, I don't do, and the bad I don't want to do, I just continue to run to that. If God knows that about me, I really am hopeless. How can these words be true? And yet Paul goes on, he says in verse 21, he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Hear these words, without blemish, and free from accusation. Christ's physical body, this is tangible, it's real, it's true. It can be known. Not just hoped for in a a last effort of maybe, hopefully so. No, God God says, you've been reconciled. And it's not because you're good enough. It's not because you've behaved well enough. It's not because you got your act together. No, it's, it's because of him. Paul keeps pointing back to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus is like. He's the one who truly is the master of hope, who brings hope to people who are hopeless, people who are longing for hope. Imagine what it must have been like that day. We heard it in that that reading of all readings to be the reading of the lectionary on this last Sunday of the church year that we would get this glimpse of Jesus hanging on the cross, which seems so out of context until we put it into context of people who are hoping for what is ahead. And here you've got Jesus hanging on a cross between two thieves, and one is shouting out accusations and sneering and laughing at Jesus. And if you're really who you say you are, come down from the cross. And you got the soldiers mocking and this ugly Betrayal of humiliation for God in the flesh. And then there's this beautiful exchange that's going on with the other thief who shouts out and he says, how dare you say that? We're getting what our sins deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And a simple call out of faith, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus' words, I tell you, the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Words of faith, words of truth, and words of promise that bring hope. Not as an end of the game, Hail Mary, that hopefully somebody comes down with it and I hope I get there. I hope I'm in heaven one day. No, I not only hope so, I know so because of what our God has done. And this is what Paul says in verse 23, is you continue in your faith, established and firm. Do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. 
the immovable, unshakable calling and certainty of being the people of God who know that the end of time and the end of life and the end of this day and the end of this service and this sermon, you have hope. And it's a certain hope. And it's sure and secure in the certainty of a Savior who lives and a Savior who comes to us today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us hope in a hopeless world. Lord Jesus, we long for it today. We're tired of raking leaves, and we're tired of raking up our problems and our struggles and our doubts and our fears. Bring us hope in this hopeless world. The hope that is firm, the hope that is secure, and the hope that reminds us that we not only hope so, we know so because of what you have done and because of who you are. It's in your name, Jesus, we give thanks, now and for eternity in your presence. Amen.